Hey, so quick heads up. I just wanted to let um, all the listeners know that for this episode and the next couple of episodes, you will be hearing my voice sound a little bit differently than on previous episodes. And that's because I have the wonderful opportunity of being an artist in residence with Makeda Thomas's um, Dance and Performance Institute in Port of Spain, Trinidad and Tobago. So I'm overseas and I'm recording episodes with the Dance Union podcast and with Melanie and our future guests via Skype. So just want to give you a heads up that the sound quality is going to sound a little bit different than it has sound in previous episodes. But I just want to say thank you so much for listening and enjoy this episode. Where she got to watch Ruth St. Dennis perform. 
Um, and so for a while, she's known to have danced with the Dinashan Company um, and things of that nature. Maxine, did you want to add something about Lady Edna? No, I think you did a good, pretty good intro. Yeah, so learn more about her. She's fucking amazing. <laughs> did amazing things in a time when it was not imaginable for integrated spaces for movement and modern dance to happen. So can I... At all. Right. I hate to derail, but I just want to say, just a side note, I'm just going to park really quick and say that there is a ginger ale and also the wrappings of some type of lemon loaf or something. Oh, that's my fault. On the I table? snack on the way in. <laughs> is, that, is that yours? Yes, it is. Is it really? Yes. Get it out of here, Maxine. <laughs> you have to treat our guests a lot more kindly than that. This is the dynamic between me and Melanie. This is how Jay. we do. This is how we show we love Only each other. Only thing is, if they see that, they might say, get it off the table, because it's not water. But seriously, though, you, you, know. you got a lemon loaf and, like, didn't bring, didn't share, like, I didn't know I, uh, you were hungry, <laughs> my bad. All right. But also, this is how Aries show love to one another. Exactly. So. <laughs> I she, know. If she didn't do this, I'd be worried about our friendship. Yo. Oh, right. If all three of us were in this room, it probably would set on fire. Catch fire. I'm sure Jay's location will make no difference. You're right? Oh no, it's still looking fire. Um, real quick, I just want to let the listeners know that I knew nothing about Edna, Lady Edna Guy, um, until this um, few seconds ago when Melody started talking about her. Mm-hmm. I did a quick little Google search, hit the Wikipedia page, and I'm learning a lot about her life in just like these few moments, like her years with Ben and Sean. Her years after Dinashawn, um, what did she do? She worked with uh, she. She's very political. She worked involved. in the Negro Dance Evening. No, she cemented her role as an organizer in the African American dance community when she and Allison Borles, which you know we're going to talk about next, staged Negro Dance Evening on March seventh, nineteen thirty-seven. The show catapulted Catherine Dunham's company, um, which at the time included dancer and choreographer Tala Beatty into the limelight. So, like, we would not have had. The Dunham like technique as the way that we know it and know Catherine Dunner for who she is who wasn't for this woman. So big ups to Edna Guy. Yes, thank you. Thank you, thank thank you for you. that offering. Mm-hmm. For sure. I just wanna I just want the listeners to know how, you know, accessible information is. Ain't you know, with a quick touch of a few keys, a few clicks of that little mouse. Or the mouse pad, and you have a whole world of information to you. You know, you don't, you need not rely on the white books of your dance history class. Right, and I'm pretty sure most of us have learned the keystrokes. So that means that we can just type it really quickly. There's no pecking involved. Oh. Means that you can, you know what I mean. You don't have to take a lot of time. It's really quick. Mm-hmm. When you say Maxine, I agree. So, ooh, which you know what transitions us extremely well into our next segment, which is mm-hmm. about. Dance and education, which is huge. Yes. Dance education. Yeah. So, Jay, you want to you wanna guide us through this? You want to, like, lead us? I, you know what? Okay, so I'm really excited to talk about this particular segment for, like, three big reasons. The first one being that it is fall, and fall meaning, like, it's the fall semester for school slash, um, you know, conservatories and uh, universities and dance programs around the world of higher learning. And I know a lot of them are stepping into the year, and I'm, I'm particularly thinking of the freshmen who are stepping into college for the first time, get ready to study dance. And I'm thinking back on my time as a freshman. Um, so that's the second big thing about like what I learned and what I didn't learn, or get more like actually, and my favorite teacher said this, um, the freshman year is like what you learned got you to this point. So all of that competition training for a lot of the kids who came from competition studios or ballet training for those who came from strict ballet programs, like all that learning got you to this point. So what we're going to teach you now isn't to say that what you learned is wrong. We're just going to add, add another perspective or complicate um, that way of dancing for you. So just be ready to be challenged, not necessarily to say that, you know, what you learned is wrong. That really helped me get through it because I was like, ooh, listen, because there is a bunch of stuff in those four years. And then lastly, and I don't want to forget this, um, I just want to shout out Becky Farrell. I, I think she's at the University of Illinois Champaign, Champlain, um, because she has decided 
to put the Dance Union podcast on her syllabus for this semester. Amazing. So all of her students are going to be required to listen to this wonderful program. And hopefully send <laughs> and us some questions. Yeah, hmm? and hopefully send us some questions, comments, and concerns. Okay. Yeah, please. Okay. <laughs> please. Right? Definitely. If you had Becky for a class, please send us some questions, comments, and or concerns. Um, so we can buff out that other second. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jay, also to yeah, kind of so back, I, go, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say to so go back to the what you're saying about you know stepping into the fall semester and like taking what you've sort of picked up to this point and then sort of applying it in a certain way is really interesting because I'm reading Emergent Strategies right now with um, mm-hmm. Adrienne Marie Brown, and one of the things that she brings up is this idea of how education teaches you things out of context, and I feel like mm-hmm. a dance education is a really great opportunity to provide things in context, because you know how like kids are like, I don't know why I'm learning math, I don't know why I'm learning this, it's like, you got to know how to count, you got to know rhythms, you got to know cultural things, like there's all these things that you have to know in dance education that is applicable while you're there. Now, that's not going to teach you everything, but a lot of it is, I feel like, is in context and not out of. Yeah. What you say, Maxine? I agree, and um, well, I just finished three years in the Department of Education as a public school dance teacher. I willingly left that system, and one of the frustrating things is that even in that system, you have to constantly fight to explain why what you do is significant. And you there's always this talk about um, curriculum approaches. And one, one of the common phrase is um, an integrated approach, mm-hmm. showing how dance is integrated in other subjects. But if anyone truly understood the art form, they would understand that that's already embedded in the art form, so there's no need for that label. Amen. And hey. so there's, they, there's no space for just... And also... If I, if I were a dance teacher, there, I mean, there's some principles that are cool with this, but if you want to just teach dance as the technique that it is, um, people have a problem with that. You have to justify it by showing this so-called integrated approach, even though that's already embedded within it. Because I know, I can't speak for all dance teachers, but I know many who followed the same path that I did. When I teach dance, I don't just teach the art form. I talk about the history. I talk. I, I go over counts. Yeah. I go over spatial awareness. I go over, yeah. you know, collaboration in groups, partnering, improvisation. There's a lot that's encompassed in the classes that I offered um, in public school system. So, you know, to say that, and but then I would be de- I would be dealing with administrators or certain people who would observe and say they couldn't see what they wanted to see, which is which really just points to the lack of understanding of the art form itself and so or them like I right and so I personally walked away questioning how dance education can fully um, flourish in a system where a lot of people not only don't understand it but aren't willing to understand it because one of my criticisms is and again I'm speaking from I'm not gonna lie I tell people I come from a very biased place because I had very negative experiences. I fortunately do have classmates from grad school who had much more positive experiences and are still working in the system and they have administrations that support them in what they do. So I'm not saying that this is all like there are there's no principle that's gonna understand what you're doing. But for the those who may be in situations like I was, you know, what I question is is the system in general open to letting artists, not just dancers, but any art form really infuse the system with what we know as opposed to trying to fit us into a pig um, that doesn't right. really fit. For, I mean, I forget the, forgive me, I'm horrible with these phrases, but, um, you know, a like. A round hole and a square peg, thank that you. kind of thing. Thank you. I, you I, suck, I, round hole, whatever. I suck at those phrases. But I basically what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I will murder it. I what I'm trying care. to say is that <laughs> I, I found myself, instead of being given the space to infuse what I know, people were trying to put me into a particular box of how they wanted dance education to go and not really allowing me to show what how what I can do with it to enrich the children's um, educations. So that's one of the yeah. reasons why yeah. I left. I feel like it speaks to a couple of things, like especially because, like first of all, you have to call it a system. And I think calling it that gives, to me, sounds extreme. Not, it's, the language is the language. But it's like extremely stifling. And it seems like a lot of administration, they don't have vision. They don't have imagination. 
and something that dance does, it, it expands our mind and expands the way we sort of perceive and can see and problem solve. And if you don't have that sort of training or that, that learning or that curiosity, then of course, like you said, you're going to go into a room and if it's not blatantly in your face telling you exactly this is what that is, people cannot see. Right. And that's unfortunate. Like one of the criticisms I often got when I was, observations are a part of um, the life of public school teachers in general. And one of the criticisms I got was that, um, they wanted the kids to be able to walk away saying, today I learned a passe. Today I learned, like, to be able to state the skill right. that they learned that day. I'm not saying that that's not significant, but my lessons incorporated many different things. It, I, I, you know, I found it frustrating that I had to just be like, okay, this is the one thing we're going to focus. I mean, don't get me wrong, I have a focus every class I taught, but they wanted it to be this, they had this prescribed notion of how they wanted kids to be able to state what they learned. And they didn't see the value in how I was doing it. And, you know, because the kids could, didn't, they didn't walk away saying, stating it the way they wanted it to be stated, I was seen as a failure. But they're not going to, they're going to discount, for example, I had a second grader who the first year I had her in first grade, she would always give up when I was teaching new choreography and she would like get sad and I would always encourage her to try her best. By the end of second grade, she drew me a picture with a note saying, I love how you always taught me to never give up. And by second grade, she stopped crying whenever she couldn't get something and would just keep trying over and over again. So that's something that's in, it's, it's clearly a skill that she learned working with me, but because it's not this tangible thing that can be um, summed up in data, they're not going to, they're not going to count that. So there's a huge focus on data collection and monitoring. And I don't, I, I mean, I'm not hating on the dance teachers that are able to work within that system, but I just don't, one of the reasons why I stepped away is because I don't work that way. Yeah. And Jay, you work in with, with students and teaching, like what's your experience like? My experience is similar and it's in different, um, it's in different systems. It's, it's not in, none of the places that I teach are specifically in, um, the like, what do you call it, uh, public education, K-12 through uh, dance teaching area. But um, of all the places that I work at, one of the um, the main institutions I work under is like the nonprofit grant-funded dance uh, organizations or like arts organizations. So I work for after-school programs that was once called the Sports and Arts and Schools Foundation, but now it's called something else. Uh, something with edge or or blades, I don't know. Um, but <laughs> they, um, there is this assessment of um, of like the students being in having fun. This was weird to me. So it's on another end. They wanted the students to have fun, and I would get evaluations, and then they would be like, "Well, if the students are having fun, so the lesson isn't 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 good," or I failed the lesson. Basically, I'm like, also, you got to understand that, like. This is an after-school program where you're making kids basically be here and have fun. Like that's already that's already downhill. You know what I mean? And like, it's the end of the damn the kids... day. What do you say? And it's the end of the damn day. I don't know about you, but I'd be tired. But see, that's the thing is that yeah, these yeah. program these programs and these systems are not taking into account the other factors that could be affecting what humans students' receptivity. For example, the last school I worked at, fourth and fifth grade were combined into their arts classes. For some reason, unbeknownst to me, they decided that fourth and fifth grade only could get recess once every two weeks. <gasps> All right. So, mm-hmm. so what that would happen was that they would have academics in the morning. Then they would have their arts major class from eleven thirty to twelve thirty. Then they would have an arts elective for twenty five minutes. Then lunch for twenty minutes. Ten of which of those minutes were silent lunch. So. I'm like part of, and then we had a rough year with fourth, fifth grade. I'm like, don't you realize you're not giving these kids a break because the only break in yeah. their day, 10 of those minutes, they have to be silent. And then they only have 10 minutes to really vibe with their friends. And then the time that they could be spending a recess, you're forcing them into these arts classes, some of which they did not even pick. Like they, they claimed yeah. that there was a choice, but some kids were forced into certain majors. I know I certainly had dance majors. I did not want to be dance majors. It's almost like yeah. the system is setting kids up to fail. Like they want them to fail. Like they're making choices so that they are not successful. I mean, honestly, like I have a teaching, well, I did have a teaching license um, for the state of North Carolina and I let it lapse because I, I was in the school, you know, for student teaching. And I was like, first of all, there is no support from administration for these teachers. Mm -hmm. Second, exactly. every one of these teachers needs a therapist for free, available 24-7. Yeah. 
Because not only do they have to work with children, they've got to work with their parents and all this other, and other yeah. faculty and administration. Mm-hmm. What human do you expect not to crack? That's why I'm like, I applaud all teachers in, in every facet, whether it's after school and the, and the school system, because the system is not set up for you to succeed. I don't think it's set up for anyone's success personally. I mean, I I was in a rough space the last three years. I did resume therapy. I Yes. I had many breakdowns. I can remember, like, spending prep periods crying and then 25, you know, 40 minutes later greeting my students, hello, you know, good afternoon, uh, you know, because you, know, you can't show it, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Although I did have a couple yeah. of times of crying in front of kids because I just couldn't do it, you know. Um, yeah. I had to, yeah. I, there was one day I had panic attacks, and but the thing is my, my principal wouldn't let me leave for the day because he didn't want to be bothered to find a sub, really. That's what it came down to, so I had to... Mm find a way to recover from my panic attack and teach three more classes. Mm. So, right. and when I saw that, I was like, wow, you guys are really not invested in my well-being that I'm here struggling to breathe and you're telling me that running away is not the answer and that I need to finish the day. You know. See, like, those kind of things, those kind of things really make me want to, like, like, actually inflict violence and I'm not <laughs> going to because, you know, I'm raised right, but at the same time, the Aries wants to jump out and fight somebody because, like, when it comes to children, specifically, you know, black and brown children in this public school system, when you, when you like try to chop everybody off at the knees, who can possibly help them? Like a teacher that is emoting and is, you know, being honest with their their mental state is something that is beneficial for the students, Um, for them to be able to see a full range of emotions, to see an adult say, you know, I need to step out and handle it, or I need to, you know, take a moment to gather myself, because not only is it um, a human thing to do, but it's also a lot of times one of those um, learning lessons that we try to teach them when they get into a fight or when they get, you know, frustrated in class or teach them, well, don't you think it would be a better option for you to step aside and do things like that? So when a, an adult tries to, you know, model that same lesson that you're trying to teach children and you tell them that's not the right way, it's like you, you're not really, you're not thinking, I can't, okay, let me pull back. Instead of accusing the administration of not thinking of the children, I'm going to say that another reason there's something that's clouding your vision to be able to see the full 360 um, benefit of a, a, a really self-aware teacher, especially when it comes to their mental health to say something like this step aside, because it, that happened to me once. Um, and I, I was able to do it. Like I was able to step aside, but I was definitely like terrified about how much time I was able to step aside um, and take because um, at that, at that time, this after school job, and um, it wasn't a secret that this this, this um, boss was trying to get me fired for her and the own insecurities. That's a whole long story. But it boiled down to um, she was trying to use my my mental health against me. Like, I had always been very clear about, like, going to therapy and very transparent about, like, anxiety and things like that and talking to the students about it. Um, not to the students about my anxiety, but, but, but about those words. And um, it was part of my lesson, especially when I was teaching leadership. So I was like, oh, I need to, I actually like need to take some time away. And I'm like, oh, the whole staff knows about this. Like, is this going to be one of those things that's going to like put the nail into the coffin? You know what I mean? Like how much time do I actually need to take? How much, how much information do I tell? Who do I actually tell? You know what I mean? Like who can actually trust? Yeah, there's a lot of politics. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to figure it, out a reporting system in the nonprofit realm. Cause I did, I did, I was a teaching artist after school with nonprofit realm, which, which, I didn't. Ha- I don't recall a, a negative experience in that realm, but in my recent experience, you know, the public school system has a union, and I did have to reach out to the union. Oh wow, good it, for it you! It culminated in that because um, I was getting harassed to the point where I said, you know what, I just need to, I need support here. And of course, the tone of things changed once I became aware that, that I had you were touched, serious that, that right. I reached out to the union. And and, and the thing <laughs> is, it's sad that people for them to act right, for them to do right. They got to be threatened. Mm-hmm. So, like, in a perfect, like, Octavia Butler world, I'm going to imagine, like, what if we all became a posse and we just started, like, growing up in schools, like, lean on me style, but not like Mr. Clark, like, not like that, but just, like, we are a big old fat posse. We just walk up in there. It's like, like, look, you know what? You're not doing your job. We're about to radically change this. And these kids are going to thrive. I'm just going to... You, you know what? I would love to, but, you know, Aries, it's like a work for us. In the sense of like, he's right. It makes sense in our world, like in our Aries world, it makes sense to go in guns blazing and just like take over the thing. <laughs> but unfortunately, I see the system for what it is, and the system 
is really just going to like make an example out of us quicker. Ooh, so I agree we with have him. to be a lot more strategic about um, changing what goes on in the school system. I think one of these, one of those like um, changes from the inside, maybe one of the most effective ones because the teachers that I see um, who are able to work within the system, but also have some more radical ideas are the ones that can implement the change with a more like um, effective five-year, 10-year, 15, 20-year goal and and can stay very conscious with it. You know, I've been teachers who do things like um, integrate movement into their math lessons, like a math teachers, but they understand movement is, is beautiful, so they integrate movement into the math lessons. And teachers who do um, who do dance or do art forms, but they always integrate it back to like one of the core, the quote-unquote core curriculum. And... Um, you know, it's effortless for them because they're they're engaged in it, and they they find ways to challenge the administration with the la- with the language that they use, and they can make their lesson plans and their standards. You know, I mean, they can do all these things from within. Where I'm like, listen, I have no interest of in doing that. So this, this, let let me just help for you. Let me just support you from the outside. What do you need? Um, That's a good point. I, think I, I also realized. Um, I, I applaud, like I said, I have classmates from my grad school program who are thriving in the public school system and still and making it work for them, and are do, and have supportive administrations, and I applaud them because they're amazing. I feel like I have an amazing cohort of people who are still, like I said, they're still thriving. But for me, at first, I had some guilt over realizing that I wanted to step away because you know a lot of the students I taught needed, I felt like they needed arts education for some kind of outlet of some sort, um, and so I'm, and I still believe that the arts are, fr- are freeing and help you gain a sense of identity and so I wanted that for them but the situation was just too stressful I also have to think about self-care and if I'm falling apart yeah. and having panic attacks and body pain unexplainable body pains and things like that then I know it's not for me and I at some point I came to terms with the fact that I'm the teacher that I do best with people who really want to be there Jay are you still there yeah, I just wanted to mute it for the truck. That was okay. Um, <laughs> I do better with in, in spaces where people really want to do the thing that I have to offer. And that's okay. It took me three years to realize that that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't think that the public school system gives me the space to be that kind of educator because everyone has to be in dance, like math and science and what have you. And I mean... My other, and there, like I said, there are educators who are magically making, uh, you know, the approach that Jay was talking about in terms of using arts to enhance what else they're doing in the classroom and stuff like that. And so I applaud those educators. But what yeah. my other criticism of the academic component is that there is just stress on state testing, and that Ugh. often impacts how creative an educator can be in general because there's this focus on the state exam, right? And, yeah. Which I also find very limiting for academic teachers in addition to the arts ones. Okay. I also want to complicate um, this conversation a little bit by also bringing in um, the conservatories and, like, the arts schools, like the Juilliards and the, you know, so-and-so school of the arts. Mm-hmm. Because there's a, um, I feel like there's a, there's an, what's the word I'm looking for? Emphasis, yeah. There's an emphasis on um, performance readiness, um, quote-unquote professional dance world readiness, where they are stifling creativity to, like, churn out um, quote, people who are overly ready for the field in a way that are, like, robots. Yeah, and um, then can't form a complete sentence is no shade. So I have a lot to say right, about yeah. that, actually. Um, I'm a yeah, product and of, I, I'm sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead, Jay. Finish your thought. Okay. Yeah, because I was just going to say, I think there's there there's the assessment, like there's the, the state standardized testing assessment um, that I feel like are, are being um, synonymous and or being paralleled, paralleled with um, being able to be like that blank slate performer who can do anything dance-wise, who has the full range of ability, can step into any room and get the job, get in the gig, you know, dancing with, like, the major well-known companies where that is the goal because if those on the other side, like, if those goals aren't met, I'm talking with and speaking with a lot of my friends who come from those kind of institutions where they're really trying to make meaning out of their life when they realize that that avenue isn't as promised to them as they thought it would be. 
So, you know, they're not getting into those that company in, in um, Israel. Bathsheba? Yeah, where they're not getting into Bathsheba, Bathsheba 2, or um, getting into Ailey or something like that. And they're just, you know, still dancing in New York. It's still looking amazing. Um, but they're they're asking themselves, like, you know, but what do I do? You know, my life isn't what I thought it would be. And I'm like, that's a real, like, your whole world just twisted upside down with that one when you stepped out of school with a promise that someone said, if you can hit these turns and get your leg up and do these things, that you'll be able to make it. And it's, it's more than that. There's so much more than that. It is, I feel like in a perfect world, though, it would, you're not just, you're not curating dancers, you're curating citizens and people. And especially understanding that our world is changing. There's not as many companies out there. There are not as many spots. And there's a huge ass surplus of trained dancers, of degree dancers, like all this stuff. So like, we have this massive surplus. Where is the demand? Where is the... Um, I'm a product of, the cons- of a conservatory program, and I've also worked in a, conserv- a major conservatory um, as an administrator. Um, I was an arts administrator before. I mean, I still am, actually, in many different respects. Um, so speaking to my experience, I'm, I mean, I graduated in 2004 before the dance world, I feel like, started drastically shifting. But even then, um, there was a focus on technique and perfecting it and, you know, and certain, and what I keep telling students who want to look for conservatories or programs is to pay attention to the personality uh, or the makeup of the faculty in the sense that, you know, certain companies, like depending on the experience of the educator, certain companies or outlets are going to, or what's going to be fed to you. For example, I went to University of the Arts, which had a thriving jazz program at the time, and the jazz department mm-hmm. was known for turning out dancers for cruise ships and um, some a lot of other aspects of the commercial world. And obviously for those who were jazz majors, they were very content with that. But for those who didn't want that outlet, you have to think about what else do you want to consider. Cause, but also you're going to be contending with the experience of the faculty. If they're experienced the cruise ships, that's what they're going to promote. So I always tell people to pay attention to the faculty in terms of their experience level. And, um, but also I, I chose to also continue studying arts administration, even in the conservatory setting. And that opened my eyes to certain things and allowed me to build skills outside of what a conservatory traditionally does. Um, I do think that a lot of, too many conservatories are focused too much on technique and especially in the world that we live in now, a lot of artists have to be entrepreneurial with how yeah. they approach their careers because fr- freelancing yeah. is the way. I mean, I've had a very... I, always, I remember I used to always tell young dancers, and I still say this, I say you have to figure out how many slashes you want. And they were like, what do you mean? I said, for example, I'm a dancer slash choreographer slash administrator slash educator. Yep. <laughs> I was like, oh, you got to think about what slashes you want to have to to sustain mm-hmm. yourself because you can't just focus on the dancer and choreographer piece. You have to think about other skills you need to build. And I think that more conservatories need to open their eyes to the fact that not everyone is going to end up in Bathsheba, not everyone is going to be able to go across yeah. Europe and dance with a company with benefits or dance with Ailey or Mark Morris or what have you. Like they're, they're most, a lot of people have pickup companies right. where the, yeah. they only perform when their opportunity presents itself. And that's just a reality, especially living in New, as a city as expensive as New York, but even other cities have the same dynamic. So, um, that's why I think, I think one of my one of my things I would like to see happen is more real world collaborations in the sense of inviting more performing artists on the scene who may not be necessarily big name but have thriving careers in their own way to be invited yeah. into these university spaces to talk about those experiences so that the artists are better prepared for what could come. This is why I'm a yeah. huge. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say I think there's one of the things I also one of the challenge like some universities for. And um, more specifically, the students who are going to be stepping into them is that the many of the teachers, many of the staff members there, and this isn't true for everyone because there's some staff members who are working in the field and also teaching at the same time. But many of the staff members who are working in the field are going to be preparing you unconsciously for a world, for a world that either does not exist anymore or never existed in the first place. Right. And when you like wrap your head around that, you, you learn to take those tools of what you're teaching or what they're teaching you and and apply them into a different 
or into a different arena, to a different scenario that can still work because like what dancers did and what creators did in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s can still apply to now. Just know that it's not going to apply in the exact same way. So all, so be ready to adapt. So I think the institutions need to start teaching dancers, especially those in conservatories where they're more about performance and technique-based things, to also integrate um, learning about how they're, they're teaching students how to learn and how to be adaptable and how to be, you know, um, effective in this dance world and not just rigid in the way that they think this is what the dance world should be. And if it doesn't fit their ideal, then that means the world needs to bend to them instead of them changing to fit into the world. Because those are honestly the dancers that get more frustrated and, um, and burn out and give up quicker than those who are ready to shake and move. Because part of, part of this whole dance union podcast is because you know, I wanted to make sure that I had a platform to say these things. But the second thing is, like, this is also a way that I can find a way to sustain myself. Like, this is going to be something that's going to generate funds, you know, and this is not going to fall within any of the models that the uh, institutions that I went to I teach, went, went to learn from were teaching. Absolutely. So I have to take those tools, you know. Mm-hmm. And this is why, like, I'm a huge advocate of institutions, whether it's conservatory or in, in the other academic realms, to teach entrepreneurship, to teach um, classes on financial wellness, to start teaching mm-hmm. these kids, like, how to, how, like, if you are getting all this freelance money and how do you sort of manage that, like, that yeah. was not taught to me. And I, I feel like it did me a huge disservice because now as I'm a freelancer and I'm, like, negotiating all these different sources of income, it'd be nice to know, like, I'm figuring it out now, but, like, it would have been nice to know when I graduated. Or contract like, negotiation mm-hmm. or how to Girl, ta- tax, write-off, tax write-offs and, like, all the things that you can get. You can yes. claim that your income income taxes, like, say, payment for dance classes or even payment for work networking dinners or things like that on MetroCard. Qu- quarterly for, taxes. Po- you know, all these things that I didn't yeah. learn till. I mean, actually, believe it or not, I t- I, UArts did give me a business of dance class my last semester, which did cover some of this, so mm-hmm. I didn't walk mm-hmm. out completely unaware and I'm glad that they offered that um, but I wish more universities did offer that not only that but a lot of dancers need to be aware of all the resources available to them to make a freelance life happen like like Fractured Atlas or The Field all these organizations that can give you um, access to information and resources to help you yeah. thrive as an artist individual, independent artist because that like I said the, the old company model it's not old, like, just yet. There's still some thriving companies, but not everyone's going to be able to dance in those companies. And also, you may, re- like, there's some artists who at some point realize that that's not the life for them. I've met artists who, I, I used to work at Juilliard, and I remember meeting students who went off to that company contract, and they realized, oh, I didn't want this. And then they came back, like, oh, my God, what do I do now? Because I realized this is not the thing that I really thought. I thought I wanted this, but I realized it's not what I want. So what happens to mm-hmm. me now? And, yeah. um... And that's real, but like I f- and I feel that a lot of faculty. And the thing is, like I noticed, there seems to be. I'm not speaking. I can't speak for all dance departments, but there is sort of like an eight uh, a shift going on with generations in terms of faculty, which I think is promising. In um, what way? What are you talking? About? Like for example, I'll guess I'll use Juilliard's example. Larry, who's the previous um, head of the dance department, stepped down. Now Alicia Graf Mack is taking over as the dance director. Mm-hmm. Um, and you so know, wait, is that, that Juilliard or is that um, it's Juilliard. Uh, LaGuardia? That's Juilliard. And what it's, is that shift? So, Larry, you know, under Larry, all this, a lot of the students went off to European dance companies and Canadian, like international contemporary companies as well as national ones, which is great. But Alicia has a background with DTH, um, Alvin Ailey, and also did different pickup projects. Oh, yeah, and yeah. she has, she, she, experience having an injury and going to school for a finance at Columbia and then was a professor at different universities before taking into this role. So her career has had these ups and downs that help her come to realize certain realizations. And she has a sister who works in the commercial world. So I think that gives Mm -hmm. the opportunity for her to infuse what she knows to expand Juilliard's notions of what success is and what's possible in the Mm -hmm. dance world. And even before I left, what Larry was still there, but even before I left, there was a conversation about the artist as citizen and how oh, to um, really infuse what they know to um, broaden and broaden their perspective of what dance can do in the world or the arts in general. So I think that with the turning of the guard of certain people stepping into certain roles like Alicia has at Juilliard, there's an opportunity to 
um, expand people's notions of what success looks like and how can to and help students see what different possibilities are in the arts in general and how they can infuse what they know. Because one thing I always tell young dance students who had a very strict definition of what success is, I tell them, you know, because I, I unfortunately have seen a lot of dancers step out of the dance world. And I respect people's paths, but I, in the back of my mind, I wonder if someone had intervened sooner, would that have happened? Like, And, and I have classmates mm. myself from UArts who stopped dancing after a certain while, and for some of them, I'm aware of certain insecurities that arose for themselves as artists, and that, mm-hmm. caught, that influenced their decision to step away, and I respect their life paths. But I always tell young students, everyone has a niche in the dance world. It's just gonna, it, may, it may take you longer to figure what that is. Like for me, for example... When I was at UArts, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I still love UArts. I still have a lot of strong relationships with my alma mater. But when I was there, the black dance company mold was what was fed to a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And I, at some point, I was like, I don't necessarily want that. And it wasn't until my mid-20s that I discovered my love of Afro-Caribbean dance. And I, fa- I have found a niche within that. I mean, I'm Haitian-American, and t- studying Haitian dance allowed me to tap into my roots, as well as studying Afro-Cuban dance. And... I love the fusion of that with contemporary dance, and that that informs a lot of my work. So, but it took me till after undergrad to find that niche. And what do you but what do you say though to people who say there's a finite amount of niches though, Maxine? Like, do I don't you, think there is. You don't? No. Because I, because I feel mm-hmm. like not that there's a finite, but I will say that I do see a saturation, like a huge saturation, in that like I went to grad school for dance. And there, there's like a, there was a path. There was a lot of us who chose that route, and now there's a path where people who are dancing professionally go back and get a degree, whether it's an expedited mm-hmm. one or what. So now you've got like this huge oh, mass MFAs and everything. Yeah, MFAs. You have a huge mass of MFAs now, and and different yeah. levels of experience. And so now it's not just the academic MFAs who are competing for jobs; they're competing for jobs against the professional MF. You know what I mean? The people mm-hmm. who dance professionally MFAs. Well, I guess in terms of the college. professor role there's a saturation but in terms of what people are doing with those degrees I don't feel there's a saturation like I have classmates from UArts who I can think of one right now who um uh, her name is Kate Sikio she's done a lot of work with dance and technology and dance and media Mm -hmm. and so yes she's taught the university level but her niche has been dance and technology and other people other people have made education so just like I know a classmate who went on she did perform professionally but has now found a niche in dance or you know using dance for social justice and dance for education and social development and so she's working with a lot of youth and developing curricula around that so what people are doing within the dance world I think is allowing for a diversity of possibilities but I do agree that in specific regard to the college application process for professor roles that there is a saturation with that yeah, I do agree with that. And that makes sense, too, when you're saying about, like, dance and technology, which is a constantly evolving thing, that there's a lot of room to be curious and creative in how your movement or how dance sort of plays mm-hmm. a role in, or is in conversation with that. And I think that, I mean, saturation of certain elements is a real thing. But I, I do encourage people to really take time to figure out. I, one thing I always also tell young dancers that I mentor is... Um, Pay attention. You're not, you're not going to have it all figured out in two seconds. I don't have it all figured out yet. But what I did do that has a lot brought me the success I have had is I paid attention to what spoke to me. So, for example, yeah. when I went into arts administration. I saw an opportunity at Juilliard to work in arts education. I said, oh, that, that appeals to me. That led to me having a slew of roles as an administrator working in arts education. Then that allowed me to mm-hmm. realize, hmm, I want to be in the classroom myself. So then I went into that and then... I'm realizing, okay, public space, public school space may not work for me, but I still enjoy teaching dance. And so find, I've I found alternative spaces. So it brought, I feel like it brings me closer and closer to the thing that feeds me and gives, feel, gives me that sense of accomplishment and that sense of being tied to my purpose. And so, and yes, I'm not dancing at city center or I'm not, you know, maybe one day, I don't know, but I'm not, my definition of success has altered based on the, on what I've discovered makes me happy yeah. and brings me fulfillment yeah. and so I tell people don't get so caught up in what the other person is doing yes there are people who are on you know world of dance or all those programs and things like that and that's fine but what really speaks to you what is it that makes you wake up in the morning is it doing dance therapy for youth or people with Alzheimer's is it co- co- coordinating programs for your community is it you know 
dance in open public spaces. Yeah. You know, and that's why I mean in that respect, everyone has a niche to offer. Right. And I like that your journey sounds like it's constantly evolving and it's it's being responsive right. to what what is speaking to you in the moment. And that might be different two years from now, but for right now, it's very true to where you yeah. are in your Because process. I find that a lot of young dancers feel like they have to. I mean, I did the same thing to myself, too. I went through a period of feeling like I had to have it all figured out, had to know exactly what I wanted. And that's not true. It's always evolving. And one of my inspirations is someone who's not in dance. She was my former boss at Juilliard. She has had a career in film production and media and was a jazz singer and arts administrator. After Juilliard, she went back to school to study interior design and is now working as an interior designer. And so you always have the option of making a different choice for yourself as long as it's tied to what you really want to do because she's always followed her passions. She's just been blessed to have many different passions and that's what she's done. And so I realized, like, I don't have to be, you know, tied to one thing. I don't have, I mean, for for me, dance is always going to be the driving thing because that's something I'm passionate about. But the many different ways in which I work, managed to work within it has evolved. And I'm excited about that. And I'm going to allow it to continue to evolve based on what speaks to me. Word. And so, and, and I think that um, operating from a place of fear or lack, like, you know, for example, people could look at, Satur- something at the field and think that there's saturation and start to get scared or nervous but if people stop op- I feel like if people change their mindset to realize that there is opportunity for all of us to be a part of it to enhance dance to be bigger than what it is um, and that there's opportunity for all of us maybe that might change the m- mindset of lack and stop us from thinking that we or have scarcity. to always be yeah mm-hmm. no, that we always have to be struggling or something yeah not just, I know I sound to, I, 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 so idealistic. You do. It's April, making me sleepy. I once read on April 2nd, babies, we are very idealistic. Oh, well, <laughs> speaking of that, I well, I like to dream, too. So, like, I have a quick question for y'all. <laughs> I, and here's my question, which I understand that you guys might just, you know, knock it down as you did my other suggestion earlier. Okay. But, Arama, if you could have one thing available to you within the dance, with, within dance education to sort of move it forward in a positive way that you think would be effective, what would that thing be? What resource would you ask for? Dance education in general or in a particular context? I'm just going to say dance education. Because for me, it's a different depending on the context. Well, girl, I'm going to give you my answer. What's yours? Time. Um, <laughs> to add on to that, one thing I would like to see is an opening of a definition of what success is in learning dance. Nice. Okay. Mm, I would like to see... Hmm. I would like to see... I think I think it piggybacks off of what Maxine said, but I would like to see um, a different rubric for um, measuring success in a dance class or dance education. Just something that actually applies to dance. And just to clarify, when I say um, time, I mean, like, mm-hmm. instead of a 50-minute class, like, give these kids some Come time on. to, like, actually breathe and take their clothes off. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, kids don't even have time to, like, breathe straight. Well, I wasn't allowed to teach. I, I my, At my previous schools, they weren't allowed to take their shoes off. They couldn't change, none of that. I had to work with whatever outfit they came <laughs> door with, which, which, which proves some interesting scenarios. I just want you to see my eye roll. Jay, I wish you could <laughs> see my eye roll right now. <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> all right. Well, I, I have well, wait, wait. I have one more question. Okay. Because this is this is the fall season, the beginning of the semester. What? Um, oh, I wrote it down. Let me just read it from the email instead of trying to remember it. <laughs> what advice would you give your freshman self on the first day of college, especially in the dance program? Relax. I was I was tense. <laughs> I, I mean, my younger self in general, I was just too stressed. I was too concerned about what other people, how other people looked, how what the what, what the faculty wanted. I didn't like now. I of course my, at the age I'm in now, I'm I'm like wishing I had that time in my life again where I could dance every day and just focus on my technique and and luxuriating and moving every day. Not that I didn't. Not that I didn't totally enjoy that, but I just felt like I put too much pressure on myself to be something I wasn't. To um, instead of fo- just enhancing what I have, which is my focus now as a dancer, um, I, I was too caught up in comparison and what was success, who got opportunities and who didn't. And I would have just told myself to relax because at the end of the day, there's a space for everybody. And like I have found a space for myself just like my classmates have. And so I wish I just relaxed. 
I would yeah. tell my freshman self to make sure you go streaking before your senior year. I can't. <laughs> I mean, that is a real regret, y'all. Look, there is a freedom to running butt naked through a football field at I'm night done. in North Carolina. <laughs> and I just wish I would have told my freshman self, Heffa, make I sure can't. you do that before your senior year. They used to even have this, like, ritual where the underclassmen would streak through the undergrad library during exams. And I was like, you guys are foolish. I won't be joining in on that. <laughs> but, yeah, that's what I would tell my freshman self. What about you, Jay? Um, I was going to say, and Melanie's serious answer is, but I know she's serious. So, yeah. <laughs> um, what would I, I'm actually, I should have had an answer for this, because this is basically my question. But I'm kind of stumped. I think I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to shoot off the dome, so I'm talking about networking. Um, I want to tell myself, to network beginning of freshman year. I didn't really even start thinking about networking until literally like last year, so that's how far behind I am. But more so, don't be afraid to go to parties. <clears throat> you don't have to drink at the parties, or you don't have to smoke at the parties or do the drugs, but just like be present in the fun mm-hmm. because I was so academic-based that I didn't do any of that. And, you know, I haven't very little to no connection with, like, my graduating class because of that, because I was more concerned with, you know, I was type A, you know, I was more concerned with doing the thing. So I would say... Jay, I feel like we had similar experiences. Like, I was so straight-laced and so, like, good grades, GPA, all that bullshit. Not, I'm sorry, let me say Uh bullshit. (laughs) But you know what I mean? That I just (laughs) wish I would have actually experienced life. Like, actually had this sensorial, like like a amazingly euphoric experience that you can only have in that moment in that time. It's funny you guys say that because I I did go to parties at UArts, but I was I remember being very uptight about drinking because everyone got drunk hardcore and it made yeah. me uncomfortable, but I fortunately found another fellow-minded late straight-laced dance majors who also were like me where we were like just wanted to hang out just to have fun not necessarily to get trashed or yeah, anything and be a woo girl and that and we're still tight friends to this day what? Come on, woo girl. <laughs> <laughs> i didn't i didn't relax about drinking till i lived in london because the you know the british is just you know it's a casual yeah. thing. it's not mine is recent too yeah. look at us <laughs> not hitting that liquor quicker all right <laughs> well so. i think well i was going to say the the whole um what do you call the thing? The whole like go to party things. I think it's more just like networking is more than just going to a dinner, a fancy dinner with suits and ties and shaking hands with people and networking, especially when it comes to your peers is, is, is being involved in the, the gatherings and the social moments. So if you are in school right now, you're listening to this and you are super academic based and type A like I was, um, just know that you are already a badass. And your grades ain't gonna slip if you go to a party every once in a while. Like or not just, you're gonna still play it. Also, yeah, not just that. Like uh, I think networking happens in the planned and the unplanned. It happens when you're like walking to class, when you're like taking a bus together. Yeah. Like, but to add on to that, people get nervous with the phrase networking. But I always tell people it's really just about building relationships. The dance world is small. You never know who you're gonna yeah. encounter at some point. So, oh, I, I, oh, that's one thing I like to say is make sure that you are. You you don't have to be best friends with everybody, but be cordial because you never know um, when you may have to work with someone down the line, or if some if a rep- reputation develops around you, and so people may not want to deal with you, whatever. or work with you, right? Yeah. So be cordial and professional as possible. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I believe we should shift into the well, la- sure. the latter portion of our situation. Um, listeners, you know, we still would love some questions. Um, if you don't ask us questions, we can't give you really thought-provoking answers. So there's that. I mean, can we, um, I want to definitely ask specifically for, um, since this is the beginning of the fall semester and we are talking about education, I think, let's say up until like October, let's talk about and please send us questions pertaining to education and higher learning, conservatory, things like that. We're going to actually have a few more episodes lined up for um, guests who are working within education in many different capacities. So if you have questions um, and you're a student or you're an administrator or you're a teacher and you just want to have any questions or any topics you'd like us to discuss as we continue to record, please send them to the Dance Union 
um, podcast at gmail.com. That is T-H-E-D-A-N-C-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. I figured out a rhythm, so I really I started. It. Uh, <laughs> but we don't want to discourage uh, other questions. Like if you got a new boo thing in the dance class and you want to talk about how you should sort of, you know, court them <laughs> going across the floor, I feel like we yeah. can also answer those as well. <laughs> yeah or like you know i farted in class oh my god the worst yeah how do i return <laughs> <laughs> i can't <laughs> i mean these things are real <laughs> this is real or <laughs> or if you were a natural hair girl like i was and you got your twist done and then you laid down the floor for some floor work and you got you made a pot of grease on the studio floor <laughs> That's what hey look, that's what your it's so true, but that's what your butt cheeks are for because you just Because I know them. I was that girl you are. Scoot Sorry to my it. former classmates. Girl. <laughs> Who you telling? Listen, that was me too. <laughs> or just like no like listen, heads up for all the black and brown people going to dance class right now. Moisturize at least an hour before you take a floor class or like a minor class. We gotta start the class in the X. Don't throw on lotion five minutes before you step in the class. Sometimes gonna hurt themselves. So true. See, people need to know this stuff. <laughs> Gotta know these things. Let it soak in. All right, y'all. Was well, y'all have any announcements? Um, oh, go ahead, Maxine. Oh, um, well, I don't have anything. Usually, my season picks up, you know, in the fall. All right, season. So, um, you guys <laughs> can follow me on MaxineMontalist.com. I'm also on Instagram, MaxineMontalist, and Facebook. So, but yeah. I will post updates soon for the 2018-2019 season. Um, I'm currently in Trinidad, and I'll be here until the 23rd of August. So um, I'm working on a new project, which um, might be larger than what I initially expected when I start working on it, but it isn't everything. Um, it's called Chiron and Leo, and I'm specifically looking at trauma, indigenous child rearing, or um, pre-enslavement child rearing, um, returning back to it, and the differences between that and post-colonial child rearing, as well as, um, what was the other word, decolonization and emancipation. So if you have any thoughts or um, information, resources, leads around those kind of conversations, I would really love. Um, to be in conversation with you about that because this is something that is both personal and um, research-based. So I just want to make sure that I'm like being true and honest to these conversations and not purely centering my own experiences because it's not it's not only about me. So I would love to be in conversation with people about that. That the first showing of that might be sooner than I expected. I'm waiting on the dates to be you know massaged out, and um, I will be talking about that as well. Great. Awesome. And I have a couple of shows coming up in September. I'll be doing four shows with um, that's being sort of choreographed, curated by Lori Berg in Times Square. Um, that'll be like the 19th through the 22nd in September. I'm performing Taming the Amazon with my collaborator, Brianna Taylor, on September 16th. Nice. And then you'll see that work again on September 22nd in a more stripped-down version. So, yeah, moving and shaking a lot. That's what nice. I'm doing. That's how you got to do it. Right? <laughs> or your, your hips get stiff. <laughs> huh? Your, your hips get stiff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Got to keep it lubricated. <laughs> All Let me right. tell you one thing. What? Trinidad ain't got nobody with loose. Well, sorry, Trinidad has no one with uh with tight hips. That's how things. yo that heat. It just it keeps everything <laughs> moving. Oh my gosh, it's like being in a beautiful sun. Oh, I don't even. Jay, <laughs> I'm just gonna let through you. I, I mean, I mean, I my feelings are hurt because I was in 12 days of beautiful weather in Haiti, and now I'm back to the rain in New York City. And yeah, and the rain's telling you something, ain't it? My rain, the rain, it got hurt, hurt my feelings. New York, <laughs> New York gives zero fucks about your summer, okay? It's like, I'm not here for you. Well, well, I will also say, like, Trinidad is in its wet season, so it rains, like, every day. But I like when you say wet that. season. Well, right, because... <laughs> Because I feel like I heard that there's really, or maybe I'm wrong, but there's only two seasons. So it's not like winter, summer, fall. No, it's just 
dry and wet season. This is the wet season. This is the beginning of it, mm-hmm. <laughs> where it rains. And the rain feels so, like, therapeutic. It feels like, mm, you like know. it's washing. Well, because, you know, water's cleansing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't feel like in New York, we're like, oh, it's raining and it's gray. Like, the sun is, not the sun, but the sky still seems clear. And I mean clear, I mean, like, the clouds are, like, you know, white and not gray. Um, the the leaves are getting a bath. The birds are still you out. Better, like, it's so nice. Mm, it hurt, sounds horrible. Hurt my feelings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds horrible. Oh God. All right. On that note, dear ones, we're going to finish out this episode. Uh, well, you hear me, boo? Uh, we're gonna, and oh, on that sorry. note, we're going to finish out the episode by finishing this phrase: "My dance union has." And we would love to start with our guest, Maxine. My dance union is an official union that makes sure that dancers get paid for their time off and get supported properly. And that if there's any abuse in power or anything, that they have support. Well, damn. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my dance union. Nice. Jay, how about you? My dance union has. Um, I don't. I can't even think. I'm, the first thing pops my head is per diem support. I feel like there's a lot of um, there's a lot of like residency slash tourism, tourism or tourist. That's not the word. Let me start over. My dancing has um, per diem support because I noticed that there's a lot of artists that travel whose per diems aren't always um, awarded to them on time. Or they're lacking, or like they're just not like really applicable to the length of time, or the the what do you call it the the amount of food that costs out there. You know what I mean? Because yes. like dancers are getting like maybe a couple hundred for a couple weeks for per diem, but then they're not taking into account that like these dancers aren't probably going to be able to cook based on where they're staying, or if they can cook, the food is you know more pricey. So I think this to have a something to apply to to get a few extra funds for per diem yeah. would definitely help. That's so true. That is, yeah. you got to speak like brother. That. And the other thing, and the other thing, I also realized that some dancers, um, when they travel because they don't get paid adequately, try to not spend as much of their per diem as possible so they can come home with a little bit of a bigger check. And that means you're basically starving yourself to be able to And we need sustenance to do what we do. So that's very true. Right. Yeah, so for being support. Mm, I heard that. I love it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, my dance union has apparel. Because you guys, you guys, I mean, gotta hit it too deep, deep and deep. I'm just, you know, we got some sweatpants and some t-shirts. Clearly, here. clearly April Aries had to go a certain hey. route over the March ones. Yo, I'm just like, well, we gotta have some clothes. <laughs> Yeah. I, you know what? I, I knew you were going to do it the way. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling too. I was like, I'll wait for it. That note. Yeah. Well, Maxine, you can see my faces. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I All thought right. you were going to say something about food again because you always like to talk about food. I thought about, about it. Experience. I really thought about it in a Metro card. Oh, hey, let's <laughs> yeah. talk about that. A guard. That's real. Yeah, right? So, all right, Jay Biscuit, take right, us so home. We are out. Oh no, I gotta do the thing. Um, yep. What do I say? Thank you for listening to another episode of the Dance Union Podcast. Um, you can find us on uh, SoundCloud, on Google Play Music, as well as on Apple Podcasts, iTunes Podcasts, or that little purple podcast app if you have an iPhone or Apple device. Um, what else do I say after that? Oh, if you want to follow us on social media on Instagram at the Dance Union, the thought spelled out, um, as well as Facebook, the Dance Union. I think there is one more thing. We have like a low key website, which is really through my own personal website until we get the funds to have our own Dance Union website. If you want to see um, other information about the Dance Union, that is jbuoy.com backslash podcast. Um, that's basically it. But, like, I, I think it's really, I'm just going to know one thing. Our Instagram is really popping. So, <laughs> go on there, like our posts, engage with us there. We're building, a, like, a litty audience and a litty following over there. So, like, don't 
don't cheat yourself. Go to Instagram, type in T-H-E-D-A-N-C-E-U-N-I-O-N and get your life. So, there's that. Awesome. On that note, um, we out. We are out. Thank y'all for listening. Thank you, Maxine. Thank you for having me. Yes, we'll see you again. Yes. What finally happened. Yay! <laughs> Thanks, Jay, for all your technological genius. You know, I do my best. <laughs> you doing your best is good enough. Oh, yeah. <laughs> good enough. All right, all I'll right. talk to you Aries later. Okay. Digital hug. Digital Virtual hug. hug. Love you guys. Love you too. Let's